Well, hello again, and welcome back to The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne, and I hope you've had a good week. I hope it's a week where you've been able to get back to church. Uh, In my part of the world, that's kind of starting to happen more and more. Just this last Sunday, we were in church with nearly everybody who could at least fit in the building, which was most of our congregation, and that was marvellous. It was tremendous to be back together again and to see people again and to kind of get back to the real churchiness of church, if I can put it that way, which is, to my mind, the actual gathering of God's people together around his saving word. And it was marvellous, even though it was still a bit limited with face masks and so on. But all the same, when you do get back to something like church, or anything, I guess, after a bit of a break, you do see it with fresh eyes and you appreciate it all over again, as I think we're all feeling with church. But it's also an excellent opportunity to pause and reassess certain aspects of what we're doing, about why and how we do things as we do. And in that spirit, over the next three painful editions, I'm going to offer some various and miscellaneous thoughts about getting back to church. Getting back to church with perhaps better church meetings. How could we lead and construct and run our church meetings more effectively and in a more edifying fashion? That's today's post. I'm going to talk next time about praise and singing and why singing makes God bigger, which sounds like an heretical idea, but the more I think about it, the more I think that's important. I'll talk about that next week. And also live streaming. I was having a great chat to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago about the theology of live streaming. Now that we're able to get back together physically, what should we think about the live stream? What is it? Are we going to keep the live stream going? And if some of us do, and I assume many churches will keep it going at least for a while, how do we think about that more long term? And how do we think about it biblically, the status of those who are joining our meeting virtually when we're gathering physically? I'll look, think about that in a few weeks' time as well. But this week, it's some thoughts on leading better church meetings. Well, the following ideas are certainly by no means all that could be said on this subject. In fact, some time ago, I think it was in 2012, uh, I wrote a Meteor essay on this subject, and you are very welcome to chase that up. You can find it on the briefing website, thebriefing.com.au, or you can just follow the link that's in the email for this edition or over on the website. I think the essay was called something like Better Church Meetings or something like that. In that particular piece, I dug into the theology of the gathering a little more and why it's important to be wise in how we construct and lead our church gatherings, not only because of the theological purpose of church and our theology of the word and of the gathering, but also because of what we believe about creation, that God made us to be a certain kind of creature with certain limitations and a certain nature. And we need to bear that in mind as well as we construct and lead church meetings. But anyway, for now and for today's edition, I've tried to distill seven punchy principles to provoke your thinking about church meetings and to use in discussion with those who are constructing and leading your church meetings. So, let's get going. Principle number one, be clear on what your role is. It seems to me, from my observation anyway, that many church meeting leaders these days aren't quite sure what their role is or how significant it is. They seem at one level to either be a fairly peripheral figure, like a an MC who pops up at the beginning and says hello and then pops up at the end again to say goodbye, 
or in other cases to insert themselves a little bit too much into the flow of things and to be too much perhaps the centre of attention. Just what is the role of the meeting leader? The role and purpose of a church leader obviously relates to the purpose of the church gathering as a whole. And for the purposes of this discussion, let's stipulate, I guess, rather than debate at this point, that the purpose of our Sunday gathering is to meet with God together in Jesus Christ as his people, to edify one another by his spirit as we speak the word to each other and to respond to him together as his people. Now, if that or something very like that is the case, then what's the role of the meeting leader? It seems to me that it's a little bit like the role of the head of a household at a family dinner or gathering. He welcomes everyone, he puts everything on, he oversees and facilitates what happens, all so that the gathering goes well and functions well and everybody gets on. He doesn't cook and serve every dish by any means, or even the main course. But the head of the household gathering is the one who takes responsibility to see that the whole thing goes off well. And that's the role of the meeting leader in a church gathering as well, it seems to me, to lead the household of God in its gathering together, in Godward edification by the word and prayer. And this means that the role of the church leader may not quite be an exercise in authoritative teaching, but it certainly is a very important role requiring theologically discerning leadership. So first, be clear on what your role is. It's not just a kind of peripheral MC role. It's a much more important role than that. Secondly, aim for a conceptual flow that suits the purpose of the gathering. We might take from 1 Corinthians 14 the idea that a church meeting contains contributions from all kinds of different people. And it seems that the role of the meeting leader would be to marshal those different contributions into a decent, orderly, edifying whole. Now, those contributions will usually be some form of word ministry, like a Bible reading or some preaching or a testimony or an interview with someone or some singing. Or it might be some form of response to the word. It might be confession or prayer or thanksgiving or, again, singing and so on. And just as any gathering or even a family dinner has a certain logic to it, it starts with the nibblies and then there's the main course and the dessert, so in a church meeting there's a conceptual trajectory or flow that makes sense of what we're trying to do together. In a general sense, this might be a gospel-shaped trajectory. Uh, for example, one that leads towards the hearing of God's word in repentance and faith, and then responds to that word in various ways. It's a flow that might be shaped by the particular message or theme or emphasis of that particular meeting. But whatever it is, every church meeting will have a conceptual flow or trajectory to it of some kind. It's really a case of whether we take the time to think about what that flow is, whether it makes sense, whether the pieces fit together in a way that contributes towards the goals of the gathering, or are just haphazard or meaningless. And simply taking time to think about this, about how the different components of the meeting fit together and which arrangement of them would flow best conceptually, this would be quite a step forward, it seems to me, for many meetings and many meeting leaders. Well, that's principle two. Aim for a conceptual flow. And thirdly, consider the emotional flow or the emotional temperature. 
Everything that happens in a meeting, including church meetings, will have an emotional or affective impact on those present. There will be fluctuations in the emotional temperature of a room and of a gathering as it goes along. We can't avoid this, nor would we want to, seems to me. And part of the meeting leader's role is to reflect on this reality, on the fluctuations that take place, to respect them, and where possible, to nudge things along in the most helpful way. To think about the emotional flow or trajectory of a meeting and work with it. Some obvious examples. Don't program a rip-roaring, emotionally exciting song immediately before you want everyone to sit quietly and attentively and listen to a sermon for 30 minutes. Don't segue straight from a jaunty, hilarious announcement video into a prayer of confession. Don't leave people sitting quietly for 30 continuous minutes and then expect them to sit quietly for another 30 minutes for the sermon. Don't be afraid of levity. Don't be afraid of gravity and seriousness. Both are beautiful in their season and especially in the right spot. In other words, there will be an emotional flow, an emotional temperature to the meeting at any particular point. Think about it and do your best to work well with the emotional flow. That's principle three. Principle four, and it's related to the previous one, is pay attention to the transitions. You see, it might actually be possible to segue from your jaunty video announcement into a time of prayer. It might be possible if you allow for the appropriate transition for the changing of gears in the meeting to not be a grating, crunching, sudden change, but something that you give people time to adjust to. In this case, for example, you might pick up the theme or main idea from the announcement. You might reflect on how important it is that we pray for these matters, give the congregation a few moments to absorb that and to absorb that we're changing gears and getting ready to approach God together in prayer. Invite the person praying to come forward and so on. And by the time you've done this little transition, and it might only take 30, 60 seconds, the congregation may well be ready for the emotional and conceptual pivot that you're making from something breezy and bright like an announcement to something more serious like praying together. Think about every transition like this between the different elements and contributors in the meeting. Think about the logical and conceptual and emotional links that can stitch a meeting together. Is there some kind of thread needed to stitch this piece to the next piece? And if so, what would it be? That's principle four. Pay attention to transitions. Principle five is be gracious to household guests. After you've prepared the meeting that you're about to lead, you've got a run sheet perhaps, and you've thought about it, how it all fits together and flows, and you've considered the transitions and how it's all going to work, and figured out what you're going to say at various points. Now go back to the beginning and look at it all again through the eyes of a guest or an outsider. Would each part of the meeting make sense to them, or which parts would be completely foreign or gobbledygook to them? Are they going to feel welcomed and included as guests at your household gathering? And what would you need to do as the host at different points in the meeting to make sure that that was the case? That's principle five, be gracious to household guests. Principle six is train your contributors. 
Now, this seems like a statement of the absolute bleeding obvious, but since, in my experience, it is very rarely done, it's one of those cases where the bleeding obvious needs to be said. In other words, if we were to offer appropriate training to those who are going to serve during our meeting and contribute various things, not only would they be encouraged in what they're doing and supported and boosted perhaps in their confidence, they would be more likely to do a good and edifying job of whatever it is they're contributing. To take just one example, it does astonish me just a touch that so few churches offer any guidelines or training for those who read the Bible aloud during the church meeting. It's surely, as evangelicals and Reformed Protestants, one of the high points of our church gatherings to sit together and listen to the Word of God being read aloud in our midst. But most churches don't seem to treat it very seriously at all. They don't look for people who are gifted in reading aloud, and let's face it, some of us are good at this and some of us not so much. But they also provide very little training or guidelines in how to do it more effectively. And if you do put some thought into how to read the Bible aloud, you can do it much more effectively. Now, if you're looking for a solution here, the best one, in fact, to my knowledge, the only one I know of, is a little two-session training program that Matthias Media put out a few years ago, simply called Reading the Bible Aloud. And you gather the people who are going to be your Bible readers together, and you spend a couple of evenings with them, say one week apart or two weeks apart. It's not a very complicated training program or very difficult. None of this really is. But just taking the time to offer some training for people in how to pray, in how to read, in how to lead singing, is surely something we should think about doing. So that's principle six, train your contributors. And finally, principle seven is lead in real time. No battle plan, they say, survives first contact with the enemy. And this often happens as well in our church meetings. Thoughtful preparation is important in all sorts of ways we've been discussing. But leading a church meeting also means leading it in real time as events unfold. When it becomes apparent, for example, that things are running over time and you're just not going to be able to fit everything in, it's really up to you as the meeting leader to assess that situation and to make the call, to, to decide to drop the last song, for example, or to decide that we are going to run past our normal finish time, that we can cope with doing that, or whatever it might be but it's your role to lead in real time. When some tragic news is shared, for example, and it's obvious that people are rocked by it or upset and need some time to process it and recover, it's your job to notice that and perhaps to pause the meeting, to not go straight on to the next thing you had prepared, to lead in prayer for a minute and to maybe even take a brief break so that people can be ready for whatever's coming next. Being a good leader of a church meeting is like being a good host. Like any good host, a meeting leader is attentive. He notices, he cares, and he steps in to do whatever would be best for the household of God and their guests. Well, there you go. Seven principles, ideas, tips on leading better church meetings. And I hope they're useful and that you can make use of them. Uh, feel free to share this around. This is a partner-only post, but feel free to share it all the same in different ways with the people, especially on your team. If you want to have a chat together 
within your congregation about how to make progress in this area, feel free to use this material. Perhaps one of the easiest ways to do that would be to go over to the website, just copy and paste the, the article that's there and share it with others. Or you might share the email that I send around that has all the text in it. Whatever way would work for you, feel free to share this material around if it would be useful. Uh, and also, of course, if you have any good ideas or tips to share, uh, if you've had any reflections on what meetings are like in your part of the world and want to share it with the rest of us, we'd love to hear it. So make a comment, send me an email at tonyjpain at me.com and I'll share the wisdom around next time. Uh, by the way, it seems that that training program I mentioned above, I've just discovered, uh, Reading the Bible Aloud, is on sale at the moment at Matthias Media for 50% off. So there you go. Not sure how long this will last, but it's very providential. Why don't you jump in and grab it while you can? That's Reading the Bible Aloud. You can find it and get it on special at the moment at MatthiasMedia.com or MatthiasMedia.com.au. One other short thing. I've led lots of church meetings over the years. I'm sure you have too, many of you. And I've developed a number of church meeting templates that kind of have a gospel or biblical logic to them. And they might be helpful to you to stimulate you to think about how you put the different parts of your church meetings together. Later this week, I'm going to send those around to the painful partners, to the people on the partner list, as a sort of bonus extra. So look in your email uh, on Friday. I think I'll probably get that done. And uh, I'll send around uh, my little collection of church meeting templates in case you find that useful. I hope you do. Well, that's just about it for this week for The Painful Truth on leading better church meetings. Hope you enjoyed that, and please do get in touch and let me know what you think. As always, I'm really grateful that you're here and listening, and I hope that this is helpful for you. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. 